0: Good morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, if you'll go ahead and open there in your Bible. And we're going to be continuing our study, Captivated. And it is beautiful listening to the saints of God raise their voices and worship the Lord. During during worship, often I I stand in the front and... I love how we're creatures of habit and most of y'all generally sit in the same spot. So I'll, I'll kind of gaze around the room and I pray over you guys and as I was looking at your faces and um, seeing, seeing some that normally are in a place that aren't here this week, I, I just want to thank y'all. I don't, I don't know if you know, um, Curtis Bradburn passed away very abruptly this week and um, his wife Paula, she's not with us today, or if she is, I'm sorry, I, I haven't seen you this morning, and, um, and Greg is a member, his brother, and it was, it was very abrupt, and to see the body of Christ reach out and love them well, I'm just so proud to be a part of a part of you people, a part, a part of what God's doing here. And I just want to thank you guys very much for the way that y'all have loved them, and please continue to love on them. Yeah, the, the, the memorial service is over, but they're still lost. So I, I want to remind you of one more thing also. I was not in here at the start of service. I was talking in the four-year. Sorry, Brandon, missed you. Um, but on Mondays, we are, we are praying and fasting, and we'll come together at six fifteen and and have a prayer service. If y'all have not been to that, it's it's very unique. It's it's a led prayer, and we'll have times of singing. And singing is just praying through song, and it's it's a it's an interesting time. And as we see the Lord move, and and we call on Him to move in this place through us. So let's let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and dive into the Word. God you're so gracious to us. Thank you thank you for letting us be here and be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us gentle hearts to hear the spirit and and where we are calloused, God, I pray that you would peel that off and we would we would hear from you, we would hear from your word today and that you would grow us to look more like you so that we could go out and be lights in our community, making disciples of our neighbors. And then, God, we pray that you would send us out to make disciples of the nations. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, we're in Galatians 3.10, if you want to get there. We've found so far, we're studying verse by verse through the book. We've, we've, we've found so far that a Jesus plus gospel is no gospel at all. Um, We are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, right? It's it's nothing we've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. So let's let's take a a second and just kind of reorient ourselves, because it's been a week, and I need to be reoriented. Remember, we're talking to real people. and We're talking about a real people in a real place, dealing with real issues, with real emotions, and... Let's, let's kind of, when, when, when we read, let's, let's appreciate that Paul's writing this letter to a specific group of people that he knows and has personal relationship with. And Paul, his heart's broken for these people because they've grabbed a hold of a, of a false theology. And because they've done this, the application means that they're living a life less than what God has to offer for them. They're living a life enslaved to the law that Jesus has set them free from. But before we jump in, just one more time, let's, let's look at the overall flow of the argument in, in this chapter. Because sometimes we drill in so deep, we're only covering four verses this morning, that we, 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 we kind of miss the, the forest for the trees. So we're going to look at the trees, but let's kind of look at the forest real quick. So Galatians three one through twenty five, Paul is showing the Galatian church how one is made a true child of Abraham. Remember, because they thought they were God's like they're the Galatian believers who were Jews were better than the other ones because they were given the Mosaic Law as Jews, as well as being children of Abraham because they're Jews. They 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 are from the lineage of Abraham. But 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 Paul's like mm, no, that's it's by faith. Abraham came to, came to Jesus by, or came to God by faith. How God worked in the Old Testament was by faith, not by works. So when on this side of the cross, he's not changing it. It's still by faith and not by works. So that's, that's just kind of the overall flow of what he's talking about. So he jumps back and forth between conversations about Abraham and conversations about the law. And when, when we talk about the law, Specifically, we're talking about the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the first five books, but also the law represents all of the commands that God has made in the Old Testament, okay? So that's, that's, that's where we're at. And this morning, what Paul's doing in our text is really interesting. He takes He strings together four Old Testament verses to make his case that the law says, that you're not justified by the law, and that the law says that you're justified by faith. So he, last week he hammered uh, their view of Abraham, and this week he's hammering on their view of the law. So here's, here's what's true. If you're a note taker, this is what's true. The law reveals the curse, but Christ repeals the curse. We'll explain that in a second. And so what do we do with this? We are to live as people who are deeply dependent on grace and use the law as a tool to point people to Jesus. We're to use the law as the tool that it was meant to be. We can use the law to to draw people closer to walk with Christ, but the law itself does not save anybody. So let's read our text, Verses, uh, verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And you'll notice those quotations. Everywhere there's a quotation, he's quoting the Old Testament. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that Jesus Christ, uh, the, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we'll take this in two sections. The first section is not very Baptist. I need three points in a poem. I I got two points for you this morning. The the first point, if you're a note taker, is the law reveals the curse. That's going to be in verses 10 through 12. So the law reveals the curse. Have you ever felt bamboozled? When I was a kid, we'd go fishing with my dad. I love fishing with my dad. But When it was time to leave, everybody in the boat was ready to leave. Everybody was hungry. Everybody was tired. We had been fried for hours, right? And he would say, all right, one last cast. Those of you who chuckled, what does one last cast mean? About two hours and multiple more casts. So one last cast. And I every time believed them. Bamboozled. Or men, this, this this one will hit you right in the heart. Have you ever been out and your wife be like, hey, let's run in Hobby Lobby just real quick. <laughs> bamboozled. <laughs> it's never just a second. The people in Galatia, uh, of Galatia, those, those Christians there, they had been bamboozled with all this Jesus plus law, Jesus plus tradition. These people thought they had the formula down of how you really walk with Christ. Jesus plus the law. And the the churches in Galatia, they were all hopped up on this Judaizer theology of Jesus plus the law. And, And Paul's coming through like, yeah, but did they really tell you about the law? Paul's like, just real quick, If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're trusting in the law for salvation, let's, let's just check this out real quick together. Um, Have you ever got stuck in a bad contract? Like um, not understanding the conditions. Maybe, maybe it was your first student loan that we're still paying off. Or maybe it was a maybe it was taking out your a credit card and you just didn't understand the implications of taking that credit card out. And you need somebody like a Dave Ramsey who who can explain the short term and the long term uh, responsibilities and, and of being in that contract. Paul, in our situation this morning, he's like our theological Dave Ramsey. He's he's explaining the short term and the long term conditions of trusting in the law. On the short term, the law is burdensome. It's heavy. But in the long term, the law only leads to death. And some of you right now, you're kind of uncomfortable talking about the law this way. And I am too, because the law is a good thing, because God gave it, right? We're going to address that at the end, because we're going to talk about using the law as a tool it was intended to be used for. But when you try to use the law to be righteous... The the law will only bring curse with it, and and we'll look at that. So, Paul's like, so did these Judaizers tell you about Deuteronomy 27, 26? Don't worry, I will. This, this, this is what Paul's quoting in verse 10. He says, "...for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book." of the law and do them. So verse uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. In Deuteronomy 26, 16 through, uh, Deuteronomy 27, 16 through 26, it's, later go there in your Bible and look at it. Literally every line contains a curse. That's the law. It literally says, Curse, and then tells you what the curse is. The next chapter, twenty-eight verses fifteen through twenty-eight, it gets way worse. Those 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 uh, those curses for not abiding by everything that's said in the law. It works. For, it goes all the way from infertility of your land and your crop and your and your animals to war, slavery, starvation, and God illustrates these things very graphically there. So that's the law. I'm saying the Judaizers went a little bit light on that part, on explaining the implications of trusting the law for for their salvation. I can hear Paul saying, look, if you want to go down this road, I understand, but you have to keep every jot and every tittle. You have to keep every, every bit of it perfectly. And at the end of your life, you're still going to taste the judgment of God because you cannot please God by keeping the law. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Remember, there's two groups of people listening, just like there's two groups of people listening today. Some of you in here believe you can keep the law on your own. Some, Some people in that church believe that. And then there's the other, another group of people that are like, oh my gosh, I can't keep that. We can't keep the law. We, we have no hope of keeping the law apart from him doing it through us. The law brings clarity because the law clearly outlines the curses and punishments for breaking the law. The law also brings clarity to God's standard of perfection. In order to receive the condemnation of the law, you must be legally and morally perfect. You must be legally and morally perfect. Also, we're born into sin, so we kind of start off failing at that, right? So, the law cannot bring justification. So, let's look at verse 11. He's going to use the law here to show us that the law says that we are justified by faith. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law, it brings clarity on the curses, punishments, and the standards of the law, but it also brings clarity on how an individual is made righteous, and they're made righteous. What's that quote from the law say? By faith. We're made righteous by faith. Now, it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law. That, that's what it says there. Now, it's evident that no one's justified <clears throat> before God by the law. Look at this word evident. I bet many of your translations say, say something different. The word, the word evident carries the idea that it has been made clear or plain or easily known. So Paul's saying the law makes it easily known. And some of these guys are walking around acting like they are the the bee's knees on understanding the law. He's like, well, the law's made it easily known that you're wrong. The The law makes it evident that hoping in the law will not bring you justification. What's the weirdest tool you've ever used to drive a nail? Like, you know, you're out, you're working, and you can't find your hammer. I've used a back of a screwdriver. I've used, the, I've used a wrench. I've picked up a rock. Now, I'm not going to say that thing went in straight or that I didn't have to bend it over. But these, other, these tools can be used, right, other than just a hammer, just maybe not effectively. But trying to use the, the tool of the law to be justified is more like trying to drive a nail with jello. It's an impossibility. It's incapable. The law, the purpose of the law is to show you one thing. You are deeply flawed and you need another. That's what the law is doing. And the law points us to Jesus. So the law brings clarity that that we are justified by faith. Paul uses Habakkuk. Everybody knows Habakkuk deep down in their heart, right? Habakkuk two four to make the point, and he says the righteous will live by faith. Since faith is the way to righteousness, the law can't be that same way. So Paul says again, it's clear that no one is justified by the law. And you're like, man, the last three weeks have sounded really similar. Yeah, because Paul's making the same point in the last three weeks. That's Next week, hey, we're, we're, he's, he's shifting gears a little bit, but we're finishing out this week because he's, he's, he's finishing this argument out. So have you ever been hiking and you come up to those signposts with those arrows? This way leads to here, that way leads to there. Well, this is, this is what we're doing this morning. Life is a journey and God's given us signposts that take us different directions. The signpost of the law, if you, if you follow all the way out where that leads, Death, curses, the signpost of faith, it leads you to eternal life. It leads you to justification. So we're made righteous by faith. We're not justified by works of the law, and we are justified by faith alone. And he tells us the righteous shall live by faith. So look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The law does not bring faith to it brings works. How can we think about... How, how we can think about this, this law idea is the good things we think we have to do in order to make God love us, in order to make us acceptable before God. The life offered by the law, it's very different than the life offered by faith. The life offered by faith, it's, it's freedom... And it's, it's, it's trusting in something much greater than ourselves. The life offered by the law is exhaustion and slavery. Paul, Paul's quoting from Leviticus 18.5, and he, he, he uses this, this direct reference. And he says this, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. And if a person does them, <clears throat> he will live by them as <clears throat> he will live by them. I am the Lord. Notice this. Did you find a promise of justification there for living by the law? That's a big negatory ghostwriter. There's no promise there. Instead, the law is merely God's expectation that we follow that standard because he's the king of the universe. Like, if you're a human, that's just what he expects you to do. And anything less, is is sin if you're one who looks to works of the law for god to like you are you going to do is you're going to find this this internal narrative over and over and over again the law says do this do that try harder the the law the the command of the law is do the law is not faith faith says it is done christ says it's finished jesus plus anything equals nothing but jesus plus nothing equals everything we have to put down this jesus plus gospel exodus 24 3 so moses receives the law he reads it to the people and this is this is what we get and moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Israel heard the law and all of its implications and in out of ignorance, multiple times say, yeah, we'll do that. We'll keep all of it. I mean, but how could you have any other response as you see the mountain with, with, with God, like with fire by day and smoke by night. Like how, how, how could you have another response? But they, have, they, they were just utterly incapable of doing it. The law was never meant to be a tool to achieve our righteousness. It, it was never meant to be like a punch card to get into heaven. Like, hey, hey checked all my laws. Here, here you go, let me in. That, that's, that's never how it was meant to be used. The law was meant to be a mirror. And when you stand in front of the mirror and you look deeply into the mirror, you see yourself, right? But what you see when you look into the mirror of the law, reflecting back on you, you see your sin. You see your failure. You see who you are in light of a holy God. The law exposes the chinks in our false righteousness. Using the law to try to be a good person and to dress yourself up before God to hide your sin. It's as ridiculous as, remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sinned and they wanted to hide their sin. So what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves. Like we would look at that and say, whoops, my bad. We would look at that and say, that's moronic. That's crazy. The fig leaves can't hide sin. Neither can the law. Let let me show you how you can use the law in a positive way as it was intended to be used. We can use the law as a tool to show people their need for Jesus. I I gave this illustration before here, but this is, I'm going to give it over and over and over because we learn by repetition and this is how I share Jesus and this is an opportunity for you to learn how to do it too. I use the law to show people their sins. I I use the law to show them that that they they need someone else to step in for them. And it's also how I teach the guys I disciple. So I always start with this one question. If you were standing before God, why should he allow you in? And you can answer that right here um, in your heart. And most people, they give this 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 answer. It varies, but it's because I'm a good person or um, because of Jesus and I'm a good person, which is essentially a Jesus plus, which nullifies the gospel that we learned last week. Like there's, being a good person is not going to get us to Jesus. And um, this, is, this is how I teach guys. So this young guy that I was discipling um, last year, I think he thought I was blowing smoke. So he went and he started sharing the gospel with somebody and he comes back to me and he goes, Cody. I asked them the question and they said good person. I could, it blew my mind. And then I got to use the law. So I'm telling you, this this is real. This is really how you can use the law to show people their need for Jesus. So I always ask them, all right, if if, if you believe the standard to getting into heaven is being a good person, let's take God's good person test real quick. And the good person test, it's just the Ten Commandments. And I, I allow them to ask, or I allow them to tell me which Ten Commandments And normally the first one they come in with is thou shalt not lie because God obviously speaks in old English. Um, So I say, well, if you've told a lie, what does that make you? And you want them to answer this with their mouth. In church, if we've all told a lie, what does that make us? Liars. We are liars. And they'll say, I'm a liar. And then the, the next one I'll ask them is I'll say, well, you know, God says not to steal. Have you ever stolen anything, no matter the value? Have you stolen an answer on a test? To steal in time at work? To whatever it is. Have you ever stolen anything, no matter the value? And, you know, they'll eventually get around to it, and I'll ask them, so what does that make you? And I love when they tell me a stealer. It's like, <laughs> you play for Pittsburgh? Cool. <laughs> but if we've stolen something, what does that make us, church? Thieves and we've all stolen, and we're all thieves. And I keep count for them, and this is something you can do. So, so far by the confession of your mouth, church, and myself, we've confessed to being lying thieves. How can we say we're good people? Then, we, we, then I'll crank it up for them a notch. And I ask them, have you ever committed adultery? And I, I show them how Jesus redefines it in the New Testament, as if you've ever looked at a person in your heart at any time and, and desired them and, and, and wanted to have sexual relationships with them in and, and, and this grotesque manner, have you lusted in your heart? I mean, nobody's apart from the human experience. And they will have to say, I'm an adulterer. And we're, we're all adult, adulterers. So right now, if we're keeping score on this good person test, we're lying, thieving adulterers. I don't go through all ten because it's unnecessary. I always just hop to the to the the one we're all like. Well, it's not like I killed anybody. <laughs> okay, but Jesus, being God in the New Testament, changes the standard. He said, if you've ever hated in, in, anyone in your heart, if you've ever wanted harm to come to a person, if you've ever held resentment and anger because you know everything's PC, nobody hates anything anymore. Um, have you ever done that? And if they're being honest, they have to say that they're murderers. So we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this conversation back up and I'll say, by the confession of your mouth, and normally you can see their entire countenance change. You've confessed to being a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer in the, before the eyes of God. And you told me before the eyes of God, if you was to say, why should he let you into heaven? the answer is because you're a good person by their own mouths they've condemned themselves and it doesn't matter because the law had already condemned them then i transition into the gospel so this is what the law's for it's to show us our curse for our action It's to show us the contract. It's to point us to Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Let's look at verses 13 through 14. And if you're taking notes, this is now the transition. So the law revealed the curse, but Christ repeals the curse. Verses 13 through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it's written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised holy uh, the promised spirit through faith so Christ redeemed us this word redeemed comes from their economic vocabulary used to the apps used to say redeem on it and i was going to use that as the illustration this morning so i got in the app store and they've made it way too easy to buy stuff it doesn't say redeem anymore it just wants to take a your face Someone's almost bought like this really random app yesterday just doing research to see if that's still done but we when we buy things we know that this word redeemed we make it we, we totally like mentally put redeemed in the christian world but it's an economic term right it comes from our economic vocabulary, and it did theirs too. So when they heard this word redeem, it would have taken them mentally to a marketplace, to a slave block specifically. And how, how this would work is the, the, the slave owner would put a slave on top of a slave block naked. And, and potential buyers, they would walk around the slave... And they would look at every flaw, every physical imperfection. They'd look at their teeth. They'd look in their mouth. They, they would check these people out. This, this is, was the practice in the Greco-Roman world. And there would be a price set. And if somebody was willing to buy the slave after seeing all their flaws and imperfections, they would say, I will redeem that. We see where this is going, right? Right? The Bible talks about us as slaves to sin. Imagine yourself there on that slave block. Jesus seeing you in all of your physical and moral imperfection and flaws. The accuser standing there, Satan calling out to you and to the world and to Jesus what he believes your value is. But Jesus, when he looks at you and he sees you in your flaws, he says, I'll redeem that. I'm willing to pay that price. He sees your rebellion against him and he still chooses to redeem you. Jesus knew the cost and he was willing to pay it. Jesus, looking at us in all of our flaws, he chose us to redeem us with what? His blood. The lifeblood of God Almighty is the price that it took to buy you and me. And Jesus saw us and He said, I will redeem that. Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hang on a tree. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. He became sin who knew no sin in order that we might have his righteousness, right? He, he, he quotes here from Deuteronomy 21 22 through 23, and this is the call of the law for the lawbreaker. This is the call of the law to us. We are the lawbreakers. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, we have. If you read the law, we have. Not just that, we rebelled against the king. That's punishable by death. And you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Remember, Jesus' body did not hang there all night. A hanged man is cursed by God. We've committed a crime punishable by death. We've rebelled against the king. The hanged man was Christ. Jesus, for us, died under the direct curse of the Father. The curse we deserve. Jesus took our punishment by hanging on a tree for us. This is what we call substitutional atonement. He substituted His blood for our blood. His life for our life. He took the curse of God for us and He hung on the tree so that we did not have to spend an eternity in hell. That's the gospel. By bearing the total burden of the curse Himself, Jesus set us free from the terrible weight of sin, from the terrible curse. So how can somebody look at that? Because remember, that's the conversation. How can somebody look at that and go, yeah, I can make that better. I need to add to that. <laughs> By picking up legalism or good works, that's, that's what Paul you talked about maybe two weeks ago, building up that which has been torn down. That's, that looks like saying, for our context, Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus my version of of. Baptist legalism or Jesus plus my method of doing church for you to really be saved. And all these things nullify grace. Let's put ourselves real quick in their shoes. The the Galatian people saw God move in power when Paul was there. They saw it. They, they know what it looked like for the church to grow. They know when somebody really comes to Christ, what do they do? They start walking in obedience. They knew what the formula looked like. I'm gonna gonna give them for a moment good motives. They wanted the, 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 the church to grow. They thought they had the right formula for the church to grow. I think they probably had a deep desire for the church to grow. But you can't manufacture the work of the spirit And when we start pressing these Jesus plus things, what we're really doing is trying to manufacture salvation. We're really trying to manufacture that which only the Spirit of God can do. When we look at churches today, we see things that maybe we don't feel are biblical. But let's for a second give them good motives. They might have bad motives, but let's assume the best. Let's, let's assume they want to see God move. They want to see good. Maybe their formula looks like Jesus plus a culturally liberal worldview. Or maybe their formula for real Christianity looks like Jesus plus a culturally conservative worldview. Or maybe it looks like a formula of Jesus plus not talking about sin. Or maybe it looks like a formula of Jesus plus legalism or Jesus plus good works. All these things, though, it doesn't matter where where they come or if you agree with it or not, they add up to someone's version of moralism. Even with the best motivations, you cannot manufacture the work of the Spirit. And our formulas to lead people these formulas that we create, they actually lead people away from Jesus, and all they do they don't create true transformation; what they do is they just create cultural conformity i don't I don't want somebody to conform to how we live and them go to hell. I want to see them transformed by the Holy Spirit, don't you and all these things, all these formulas, they have no power to save, and all they're doing is calling people to do more and try harder. The heart of a Jesus plus theology is basically just your own moral fortitude to wherever you want to apply those, moral, those, those issues of morality. We use moralism to mask our deepest desire to glorify our true king us. The law is a blessing when we use it to walk in obedience with Christ, but it's a curse when that's the thing we're hoping for to find salvation. So let, let's, let's talk about, real quick, I'm going to give you just a few ways that you can use the law as a benefit. Last thing I'm going to say. Let's use the law as a tool to point people to Christ. Use the law to remind yourself daily of your dependence on grace so that we don't become uh, grace amnesiacs, people who who forget that we daily need the grace of God. The law, when we look at it, it shows us our flaw and it shows us our great need for Jesus. The the law is something that we can use to walk hand in hand with God because the law allows us to walk in obedience because he showed us his standard. So, as we, as we go, I just want to encourage you with, with this. Remember, what is true? The law reveals the curse, and Christ repeals the curse. So what do we do with that? We live as a people who are deeply dependent on grace, and we use the law, the law as a tool to point people to Christ. If you will, bow your heads with me. And the, the band's going to come forward, and I just want you to reflect for just a moment. ask the Lord if there's anything that you need to remove. If there's any place where you are depending on the law. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. I'm going to be standing in the front. I'd love to pray with you. I know a lot of people, we come here broken. The week is heavy. Like this week, for our church body was a heavy week. And you, you just want somebody to pray with you? You just want to come and, and lay... You don't want me to pray with you? You just want to lay your prayer at the altar? Come do that. Prayer says, God, I can't, but you can.